When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 44 of our study, Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And we just finished the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments given by God to Moses on Sinai. Remember the people uh, are around the base of Mount Sinai while God is uh, giving Moses these Ten Commandments. You're giving the people the Ten Commandments. Uh, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens from here. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20 and we'll begin reading at verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. (laughs) I just have to pause right there. So God is speaking the Ten Commandments and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's trumpets and people see the smoke. And they're like, no, we're afraid of God. Well, we should be afraid of God at some level. Uh, we have to understand that God is a mighty, powerful God. And with the snap of his fingers, he could completely wipe us all out. Um, what is it that my parents used to say? Uh, I can make more of you. <laughs> have you ever have you ever said that or heard that uh, from a parent? You know, obey me. I, c- I can take you out. I can make more of you. <laughs> and God's the same thing, right? He could he could make more of us if he wanted to. Um. He certainly could. Uh, so it, being in the presence of God is not the most comfortable thing in the world. Remember when God uh, encountered Moses at the burning bush, God told him, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And I don't think Moses had any problem doing that. So, yes, 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 Lord. Took off his sandals. Whenever you're in the presence of God, it's a holy thing. I think of the same thing when when uh, Peter caught all the fish because Jesus told him to catch the fish. Um, and then Peter suddenly realizes that this is God. He has control over fish and it just breaks him. He gets down on his knees and he praises Jesus at that point and follows Jesus at that point. Um, there are, when you come to the conclusion that God exists and God is holy, you have really no choice but to follow him and to follow his commands and decrees. That's just part and parcel of what happens now, in our lives, uh, God always leaves a room for doubt, which is so that we, our faith can increase. If, if there is, there's a balance between faith and doubt, right? The more, the more God leaves on the table, then the more faith has to elevate to, uh, to, to build our faith. If God comes to you without a doubt that I exist, that's a great thing, but then you have to follow him, and then there's really no room for faith because, um, because you, you know, the more you believe that God exists, the stronger your faith is, or the the less requirement for a strong faith. It goes hand in hand. All right, so uh, we'll continue reading in verse twenty. Moses said to the people, "Don't be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning." Now, this is an important verse. We have to remember this. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. What keeps you from sinning? It's the fear of God. And what keeps us from sinning? It could be the fear of God. I I don't try to sin because I love God. But if you don't have that 
initial love and you know that God exists and, you, and he's going to punish you if you sin, then it's the fear of God that keeps you from sinning. But Moses says, don't be afraid. These commandments are here to make you fear God and to keep you from sinning. I don't think the purpose of the commandments are necessarily to mete out punishment on the Israelites. God put the, the commandments there to, to make us live in fear of the commandments. Um, when we have laws, in the, like, why don't you kill somebody? And it's like, well, I don't kill anybody because I don't really feel like killing anybody. Okay, I understand that. But if you felt like killing somebody, one of the things that might deter you from killing somebody is the fact that if you get caught and it's a severe enough level of crime that you could be put to death. And so that's part of people's thinking. But for the vast majority of us, I mean, for me, I've never killed anybody. So I don't, I don't need the commandment, thou shalt not kill. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to kill anybody anyway. But those commandments are there, are pressure in a society to try to live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. Um, we'll keep reading. Verse 21, the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And then the Lord said to Moses, verse 22, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourselves that I've spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. So this is, and if you know anything about various religions around the world, there's this propensity, this desire of people to make gods. Um, there's just something comforting about taking something out of our hands and making gods and uh, worshiping those things or making them be representatives of God. But God says, no, don't do that. Don't make any gods. I am your God. I'm the Lord, your God. Follow me, no other gods besides me. And by the way, do not make yourself, now this is one of the commandments, but don't make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. God's repeating this, that we should not make gods of silver or gold. There should not be a physical representation on earth that you worship. Worship me. Uh, don't build something with your own hands and worship this as if you're worshiping me. No, worship me directly. Worship me alone. Um, we continue on. Verse 24, make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a stone tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps or your private parts may be exposed. So, God is saying, now it's okay to build an altar, but the but don't worship the altar. The purpose of the altar is to put the sacrifice on and to burn the sacrifice on the altar. It's one of the it's a holy place, and it's okay to bring your sacrifices and to feel the presence of God there when the altar is there, but don't worship the altar. Worship me. That that's what you, what you can worship. Now, a couple of things here. First of all, the stones should not be dressed. I love this. Some of the most beautiful things that I've seen in life are where people take native stones and keep them in their native shape and then, you know, build a fence or a wall or something like that with native stones. I think that is truly beautiful. It shows both the handy handiwork of man, but it also shows the natural beauty of the world around us. 
And if you go into Europe uh, and see some of the natural stone buildings that have existed for a long time, they're just there's something uniquely beautiful about it. There's a, a guy on the north side of um, Old Spanish Trail. If you've ever driven in those neighborhoods, there's one guy who's uh, purchased landscaping stone kind of in its natural format. And then he's built all these uh, fences and walls around his property and within his property that have that stonework. I just think that is absolutely beautiful. I truly do. And, and if you have a if you have a, a church that's built out of natural stone, I think that's really, really, really beautiful also. And I think that um, there's just something about the natural beauty of God's creation that you kind of keep. There used to be, a th- um, for the very, very longest time, uh, the architectural rule was that if you built something, it had to be as beautiful or you know try to be as beautiful as God's natural creation. There's something about the beauty of God's natural creation. If you if I go into, um, you know, Sienega Creek or whatever, where there's just natural landscaping, natural things, well, even on our church property, the undisturbed natural landscape, except for the jumping choya. I hate jumping choya, but if you can find a place that's kind of got natural trees and grasses and plants and flowers without jumping choya, I just find that extremely beautiful. I really, truly do. Um, so God's saying, don't worship me. Uh, I mean, worship me alone. Don't worship uh, gods of silver, gods of gold. It's okay to have an altar, but you're going to put your uh, offering on the altar and I will be there and I will bless you. If you build an altar of stones, don't you know shave off the stones and cut them. You know, Just make them the natural stones. Uh, and if you go up to my altar on steps, and do not go up to my altar on steps or your private parts may be exposed. So you have to have some sense of modesty also when you build this altar. Um, and now we're going to get into, um, uh, I really, because all that's interesting. But what's really interesting is that now God's going to give Moses a bunch of laws. And these laws are going to seem rather harsh. You're going to look at these and say, my goodness, these are. God is a very vengeful, punishing God. A couple things to say about this. Just because the laws on the books does not necessarily mean that people were punished by these laws. Because as we'll see as we get later uh, into the Pentateuch, the first five books of the of the Bible, the Tanakh, um, there were ways to avoid punishment in these laws if they were mildly punished. Um, if there was a mild uh, punishment of these laws that you broke, there was a way to offer a sacrifice. There was a way to offer money. I mean, there were ways to appease God from the punishment of these laws. The purpose of the laws isn't that God wanted to kill people. The purpose of these laws that God had to put downward pressure on mankind to try to behave. I'm guessing that most Jewish people did not break God's law. Remember, um, even the, 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 and there was 613. These 613 laws that are in the Old Testament were put in place to kind of protect mankind from really not um, breaking the Ten Commandments. The, 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 it was like a fence or a hedge around God's law that they would 
put so that you never broke through the hedge and actually broke God's law. Now, people could. They could certainly break the Ten Commandments. They could certainly do things that were not pleasing to God. But um, God's going to give punishments. He's going to say, these are the laws that I have on the books, and these are the punishment for those laws. But when you read these punishments, understand that, and if, even if you look in the Old Testament, go back in the Old Testament, like how many people were actually punished? Can you think of anybody in the Old Testament that was actually punished because they broke any of these laws? There were a few, but not a lot. I mean, this is the, you know, in the whole history of the Old Testament recorded in the, you know, the 39 books of the Old Testament. How many times do you really, really see somebody punished for an Old Testament law? Now, there had to be some because God has to be serious. If God puts a law in place, then, then there has to be that threat that this could actually happen. But there are lots of ways. Even today, we have laws on the books, but we don't necessarily give everybody the, the punishment of the law on the books. Sometimes there's extenuating circumstances. Uh, sometimes we can't prove that somebody actually broke the law. And even the, even the laws that are on the books are not necessarily there um, to, because we want that to happen. For example, there might be a law in the book, like somebody might stop, a policeman might stop me. And if he senses that there's something that he might you know, further enforce the law, you know, to try to, um, to really try to get at the, at whether or not there's a crime committed or something like that. Sometimes, uh, the laws are on the books to allow, uh, police officers or, or authorities to go one step further to really investigate if there is a crime. Um, but 99 out of 100 times, they might not go that one step further because they don't sense any crime. Sometimes you have to have laws on the books that allow um, the authorities to go a few steps further to kind of track down crimes um, because nobody can do anything. No police officer, no authority can do anything unless there's a law in the book that allows them to do it, to investigate. And so the, there, is, um, there is that also. So some of these crimes are just, some of these punishments may seem rather severe and you just have to understand that the vast majority of the time, probably nobody was ever actually given the punishment for these crimes. There were probably times when it, when they had to, but that was to put downward pressure on the people to keep them in line. Remember, why does God give us the law? God gives us the law so that we can live together. It's, it's God's law is something that if we follow God's law, like if you follow the 613 uh, laws of God, which is, it's not hard to follow the 613 laws of God. If you follow the 613 laws of God, um, you will probably live a very, very wonderful, stress-free life. You, you will grow age, you know, grow older with joy b because you know that you're following God's law. The problem is, is that by the time of Jesus, these laws, there were people that felt like they could perfectly follow God's law. And so it didn't matter what else they did. But sometimes you can follow God's law to a T and still be a horrible person. And this is what the Pharisees and Sadducees this is what Jesus noticed. They were all following God's law, but they were just horrible people. And so Jesus drives the law even deeper 
to say, you've heard it said, um, you know, not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Or do not commit murder. But I say to you that if you even belittle someone or say raka to someone uh, or, or give them little value, that's a form of murder also. Jesus showed, because this is what everybody needs to understand, none of us are perfect. Even though there were people that felt they were following God's 613 laws because those are the ones that were codified, the whole purpose of those laws was to create a people who were loving and caring and compassionate to each other. And by the time of Jesus, they weren't loving and compassionate and caring to. There were some really, really bad people, even though they kept the whole entire law. And so Jesus changed that whole system. Um, he, didn't, he didn't take any of the laws away, but he fulfilled the law. So for us, the purpose of the law is to, first and foremost, help us realize that none of us can follow the law perfectly. That's the mirror part of the law. None of us are perfect. John says this in his, his epistle, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 7. If we say we have no sin and we deceive, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but if we say we have sinned, um, God's with us. Um, basically, um, all have fallen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is the mere portion of the whole law. We cannot come to the law with arrogance. We have to come to the law with humility. That's one of the purposes of the law is to make us humble. The other purpose of the law is like the guardrail. Like if we follow these things, then we will probably li live a pretty good life. And now there's a third purpose of the law for Christians, which is if you see that you're sinful, if you want to, you know, if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, then the law also gives you kind of a guide to what types of things makes God's makes God happy. And that's the third use of the law, which is which is a guide. So the three uses of the law are a mirror, guardrail, and a guide. And um, that's the purpose of the law. And it might be helpful to think about that as we go through these laws too. They're a mirror to show us our sin. They're a guard, guardrail to keep us on the straight and narrow, but it's also those things that we should do to keep God happy. And don't focus on the punishment. Uh, the other thing is that not everybody was punished by these. It may have been never anybody was punished by these. It's quite possible, I mean, that, that nobody was ever punished for breaking one of these laws. Maybe at the time of Jesus there was, but it's quite possible nobody's punished for this. And then also the punishment, this punishment was for people at the base of Mount Sinai. And I think the punishment uh, could potentially change as a society matures and grows um, there could be different punishments, different different ways of looking at those punishments. All right. So, with all that being said, let's let's go ahead and get into it. Um, this is Exodus 21. We'll just start reading at the very beginning, verse one. These are the laws you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has his wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master, and only the man shall go free. So 
Now, this is a couple things here. First of all, this is not modern day 19th century slavery where they went to Africa and picked up slaves and brought them to the United States to work on plantations. Remember, they didn't have debt back then. They didn't have, um, they didn't have a way to deal with people who couldn't take care of themselves. And so one of the ways that that might happen was that these people might be sold into slavery, uh, not slavery, but sold into servanthood, where it's like if you had a person that could not take care of themselves, we actually have on our campus a guy that really can't take care of himself. So we give him food, you know, we tell him what to do, we tell him what we not, what he can't do. Um, but a hundred years ago, or you know, four thousand years ago, that person might then. Uh, be purchased and be a servant in a household that he's, you know, he serves for six years. Maybe it's to pay off a debt or maybe to pay off a family debt. Who knows what it is? But in the seventh year, that person then goes free without paying anything. So at the end of seven years, that person is free. And then there was also a thing that said seven years of seven, uh, all the land and property, everything was returned. So it was called the year of Jubilee. And there's, and it's not really clear as to whether or not that was ever followed either. Um, the, remember, these are laws in the books, but it doesn't necessarily have to have been followed. Um, if the guy comes with his wife and children, the whole family goes free. But if he comes as a single guy and the master gives him a wife and children, then when he leaves, he leaves the wife and children with the master. That's the way it was. Chances are he may have been given his freedom, but he may not have left. Um, that is quite possible. If it were me and I had a wife and children, I probably wouldn't leave either. Um, well, let's go to verse five. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, and I do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door of the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, and then he will be a servant for life. So if you wanted to stay, you could stay, but you have to go before the judge, and the judge evaluates the case. Uh, and if he decides to stay, then his ear is pierced with an awl, and now he's a servant for the rest of his life. He is always in the service of that household for the rest of his life. This does not necessarily mean that he had a bad life. This just means that where what he does in the morning uh, is dictated by other people. Now, the funny thing is, is that as the more complex our society gets, how many times is your life dictated by other people too? Um, you might have a boss or somebody that tells you when to wake up, when to come into work, what to do at work, when to go home, you know, what work to work on, all that sort of thing. This is, um, this is part of what we do in our society. Um, we don't have our ears pierced with an awl, but there are many of us that are servants to our job. And um, we are able to leave that job at some point, but maybe not necessarily. I mean, there's some jobs that you simply can't leave. For example, if you're president of the United States, you can't just pick up your marbles and go home, right? You have to, you have to serve for the period of time that you've been, you know, you are basically no better than a Hebrew servant uh, for that period of time, <laughs> Uh, because you've you've basically become a servant to a master. Um, so all of us at some level have been servants to a master. I hope. I hope you have. Um, because it teaches you humility and how to live. Oh my goodness, we're going late. Um, 
Uh, all right. So I think we'll end it there. Uh, we ended up on, on chapter 21, verse 6. So we'll pick this up again when we start again tomorrow because some of these are going to get a little bit more harsh and you're going to scratch your head and wonder about them. So we'll talk about those. So uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the blessings of this day. Watch over us and keep us safe. Um, thank you for your law, which shows us that we all need you. But fortunately, you've come to us uh, in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.